So 75% of people will say that, you know, sustainability and lack of better words is an important factor in, for them or want to make better decisions. But only 3% of sort of general society actually take that into account when making a purchase. So there's this say-do gap there. And we want to and feel that the industry needs to educate uh, customers and consumers about what it actually takes to create our products for us to be confronted with the consequences of our consumption of our purchases to actually be able to make better decisions. Welcome back to Who's Saving the Planet. Lex Kefabra here, your host. Today we're going back to a industry that we've spent a fair amount of time on, the fashion industry. But we're taking a different look at it today. So I want you to imagine a world where you could buy clothes knowing where every fiber in that garment came from, where every stitch was sewn, where every packaging choice was made. Truly a full understanding of what went into making that particular item. That would be a world that we lived in that would have 100% transparency about the things we bought, the environmental cost, the social impact, everything from a nuts to bolts, cradle to grave understanding. And that is what the founders of the company that we are interviewing today are reaching for. Jacob and August are the founders of Asket, a company based out of Europe that is committed to a complete 100% transparency in everything that they make. And so this conversation is important in two ways. One, what does that look like? What does it look like to actually go through the process of understanding everything you make? And two, and this is a big one, does it matter? Like, do people buy more? Or is it a good business strategy? Because if we're going to save the future, if we're going to live a little bit longer on this planet, we need to connect the dots between this say-do gap from people saying they want to shop better and then actually going out and doing the things to conduct better commerce. And Jacob and August are at the forefront of understanding what it's going to take to close that gap. Now, I bungled the stat in here in the beginning, so I want to, I want to revisit it, which is that right now the fashion industry is on course to produce 2.7 billion metric tons of greenhouse gases by 2030, and we need that number to come down to 1.1 billion if we're going to stay under 1.5 degrees threshold. It's a huge, huge lift. And Asket is an example of what that could look like of a company truly taking responsibility for the way that it's making its clothes and offering us, the consumers, an opportunity to close that gap between saying that we would shop better and actually making the choices to back that up. Okay, without any further ado, here's our conversation with Jacob and August, the founders of Asket. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. We have with us the co-founders of the... Swedish fashion brand Asket, and of course, the one and only Jonas. Jonas, welcome in. Thanks, Lex. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. And we have Jacob Dworsky and August Bardbringus here with us. August, did I get your last name right? I think there's another syllable in there. Bardbringus. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, Lex. I'm working on it. It's just constantly a work in progress. Um, okay, so I want to tee you guys up with uh, a little bit of, a, of a, some research that I did because I think that your brand and the way that you are creating a different experience with something that we're all used to, clothes, is, is fascinating. 
we right now are on a trajectory to blow past the 1.5 degree centigrade that we need to stay under in order to keep this planet something of a habitable place. And the fashion industry is certainly a large culprit in that. It produces somewhere around 10% of the global amount of carbon emissions and is on track to, to increase by uh, about 40%. So right now it's 2.1 million metric tons of greenhouse gases per year. That's expected to go up to 2.7. And we need to get that number down to 1.1 billion metric tons of greenhouse gases a year by 2030 in order to stay under the 1.5 degree centigrade number. And that is a huge, huge lift. And there are three main areas that we need to do that. One is upstream. So where do we get the materials from to make these clothes? How are they being grown? How they're being harvested? How are the mills producing these materials? Then there's the internal operations aspect. How are the companies themselves using these materials to craft the products? What kind of energy is the companies using in their warehouses? How are they packaging them? What is their distribution? And then lastly, and this is the one that I think is so interesting, is the consumer aspect, which is how do we people treat our clothes? Do we repair them? Do we wash them really often? Are we buying less but better? And that is something that I think we don't think about as much because you know we kind of think, well, once we get it, we're kind of off the hook. So that's the world that we're in right now, where we need to achieve a 50% reduction from today's number of global greenhouse gases in the fashion industry in order to stay under this 1.5 degree centigrade. And now I'm going to kick it over to you guys. How does this fit in with the story that is ASCET? Right. So, I mean, I guess it all started in 2015, um, or actually if we dial it back in 2009, when Jacob and I met in business school. And uh, throughout the years, we found common ground in a frustration with our wardrobes. Um, we were just looking at the masses and heaps of clothing that we have and seeing that we really just use a fraction of them. Um, and the few pieces that we actually use are the wardrobe staples, the essentials like the white tee, the blue jeans, um, the gray sweatshirt, basically. And we were uh, contemplating why it was so hard to find those few pieces that we actually always go back to. Um, and what we identified is basically the systemic flaw in the fashion industry, uh, which is essentially the mother of designed or planned obsolescence. The industry mm. creates today up to, you know, 52 collections a year. Some brands release 7,000 garments a week, new styles. Uh, in order to get us to basically feel that what we bought yesterday is no longer in trend, we need to replace it with something new to be sort of socially acceptable. Um, and that is just spurred out of control. Um, and in this massive speed uh, in the system, uh, together with sort of, you know, cost pushing to have some kind of bottom line, um, garments have just become something very different than what they were, let's say, 50 years ago. They've actually just become worse over time. There's been no innovation that's actually made the products better. Uh, and the stuff that we actually need, this wardrobe staples or wardrobe essentials, as we call them, they're kind of uh, left behind here um, because uh, they're obviously not as interesting to a fashion brand because it's basics, essentially. Right. Yet as consumers, we always get back to them. So we set out to um, create a business model where we could basically solve what we call the impossible equation of combining um, high quality, uh, a great fit, timeless design at an affordable price point. And um, 
that brought us to work in an entirely different way. So what we came up with was that we'll abandon seasonal collections or limited availability of any products entirely. And throughout the lifetime of our journey as a business, we'll create only the garments that you need. Uh, so three to four new garments a year maximum. At some point, we'll stop releasing new garments. And these garments are meant to be around forever. So in six years time, we've introduced only 30 to 35 garments. Uh, and we haven't removed a single piece um, with the exception of a few garments uh, made out of leather, which we've chosen to abandon as a material in our in our portfolio. Um, well, let me and- pause right there, because there's something I want to draw back on. I also had the unfortunate uh life choice of going to business school, which I continue to be paying for. And they taught in that the uh, Inadex case, which is the mother of Zara. And it was a case study where they said, this is a company that had an idea that, like you said, figured out how to do the supply chain to create 7,000 new garments a week and brought about this idea of fast fashion and is now a $20 billion a year revenue company with you know, I'm sure four or five times multiple of that of the enterprise value, which is to say phenomenal success. And you guys looked at that and you said, you know what, we're going to take that case study and we are going to do everything exactly the opposite. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. I think, I think we uh, had pretty much the same case study in our um, business school. Everyone does. Everyone teaches the Zara case study and everyone's like, oh, wow, they, they figured out how to literally let things set things on fire and make money doing it but quite a lot of money. So yeah, why, how did you come about, how did you come away from that and be like, you know what, we see you and we are going to go exactly the opposite direction. I think for us, it was, as August said, in the beginning, it was a personal frustration. We really felt that that model does not uh, really, um, you know, solve our needs. It doesn't, and it doesn't feel like something that, uh, obviously, as you said, with the background of the problems of the industry doesn't feel like you know that can go on forever. It's really not uh, not going to last. Mm. Uh, and and I think we just felt you know there must be a different model for the garments that we want and need that can be uh, catered to timeless essentials. That you lift those out from from how Sarah works, and mm. and then you can make those garments better, and you can make it better for the people making them and the environment as well. And I think that's something that we just felt is is a a more interesting and a lot nicer business to work with mm. and selling things to people that they actually need uh, rather than creating fake needs, uh, I think is also a, you know, a long-term model that's, that's a lot more sustainable. Mm. Um, and I mean, but if we dial it back, uh, I think it started that personal frustration was simply with the products that were on offer and that we were buying they are not up to standard. Those are, you know, when we talked about that huge wardrobe of stuff that we never use, um, that's the pieces that are in this sort of never in use pile. Because if you churn out garments at that rate, at that pace, there's no time to actually create something great. Um, But then that kind of spurred off this whole learning curve that took us, you know, into the bigger questions of, what are actually the consequences of operating a business like this, uh, producing at this rate and consuming at that rate? Yeah, and I think, I'm oh, sorry, you go ahead. It sounds like that's just a, that's such an emotional and sort of uh, like, I don't know, maybe spiritual, I don't know, or moral. There's like all of those things you were talking about. None of it was said at no point where you like, here's how we're going to make more money. 
like our heroes are going to just like disrupt the business model. It was like, we felt that this was the right thing to do. And we believed that there was a place for it. And I find that interesting considering that if you go to the website, if you go to askat.com, uh, you see that pulled through in your way that you're talking about the stuff that you make, you know, there's, there's this transparency and sort of pride in saying, we know where this is from. Here's what the landed cost of this garment is. These are how all of these things put together where you're really pushing that aspect of believe us, you know, believe in what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that, I mean, we do take pride in what we do and, and we, you know, this is something that we envision ourselves doing for the rest of our lives. And we want to build something that is great and that we can stand for. And, and that means I want to know personally where my products or the ASCID products are being made, because I want to be able to know and sleep well at night that everything is in order and that I'm selling a product that I can stand for. So it's definitely rooted in, in a, in a personal belief. Uh, and then, at the same time, I do think there's, and we have proven that there is still a solid business to do it that way, but definitely there have, you know, we're not making life easy for ourselves. We're always, uh, you know, it's, it does require more work and it's, uh, uh, it's tedious and it's uh, oftentimes we kind of, uh, like wish maybe we hadn't had a 15 size uh, system because that's just an enormous strain in operations, but it's something that's also at the same time, a core part of what we do. And, uh, you know, a lot of our customers uh, love it and, and come to us for that particular reason. So it's, I think in the end, it's all those things put together uh, mm -hmm. that ask it what it is. I'm gonna jump in here and see if I can connect a few dots together outside of the business speak. Um, so yeah, it sounds like one of the like, key pieces of ASCET is this idea of traceability, which you guys mention a lot. And that's a huge problem that we found um, building our scorecard in the fashion industry is just sort of following where everything comes from and figuring out what the impact of that is um, on the environment and sustainability terms. Um, and you are all trying to change that by replacing with made in with this is traceable through these places or uh, it's been made in these places for with all of these different components. And so going back to, I think, I think what Lex was alluding to is this idea of economic viability or like profitability, which is what so often drives companies is, um, so I'm curious how maybe traceability plays into this idea of the economic viability of your company and, you know, does this speak to people? Are they buying this because they're interested in traceability? And how much effort is, is it costing you all and money to do this piece that then you know maybe puts you at a disadvantage to other businesses that are just throwing out fast fashion and don't really need to think about where their products are coming from? So, I mean, when we introduced full traceability as a concept, and now that's part of a larger concept, which we called full transparency, because it's about, you know, cost origin and impact. Um, but when we introduced that in 2018, you know, we'd already been going on for three years and, and had a pretty good trajectory. Um, so, um, and at that time, there was no one that was talking about traceability or transparency in the same scale as we are today in the industry. Um, and, and, you know, I would say that uh, that is also one of the 
results of the pride that we take in our business and in the products that we choose to create that we as individuals wanted to know and as founders and owners and you know operationally employed at Asket, we wanted to know where the stuff that we create comes from and then we expanded that to knowing you know um, uh, the impact that it takes too and i think that there's a lot of customers that want to know that too and that see that as a uh, part of the sort of criteria in making a purchasing decision but it's nowhere near mainstream and you know there's these studies from global fashion agenda that say that 75 percent of consumers will say that sustainability or making sustainable choices and making quotation marks here you can't see it probably um one of the downfalls of a podcast yes those were indeed every time someone says like sustainable choices it has quotations implied but yeah go on thanks for clarifying that um so 75 percent of people will say that you know, sustainability and lack of better words is an important factor in, um, for them or want to make better decisions. But only 3% of sort of general society actually take that into account when making a purchase. So there's this say-do gap there. Um, and how we motivate that we still pursue that is, as I mentioned before, the pride and the fact that we ourselves personally want to know where our stuff comes from. Uh, secondly, we want to and we want to and feel that the industry needs to educate uh, customers and consumers about what it actually takes to create our products for us to be confronted with the consequences of our consumption of our purchases to actually be able to make better decisions. Um, so um, I'd say that this, this it came a lot earlier than, than it became mainstream. And today it's more mainstream maybe to sort of talk about transparency. Um, but it's, it's an educational factor that is important in our mission to actually help us as a society make better decisions and live with less. Just, just to add to that in terms of, you know, the question about how, how does it, you know, business-wise materialize. In the beginning, transparency for us, which led to traceability, was it, it had a business purpose as well. It was a way for us to demonstrate quality as an online only business. Uh, that's why we opened up and showed our costs and our factories because we could show, you know, you're, you're uh, buying a 35 euro t-shirt uh, that should actually cost 70 uh, or, and, and it's produced in the same factories as all these other high-end brands. Uh, so, so it did have a business purpose for sure. And, and I think also, you know, the way we use it to build up meaning and valuing garments to make sure that customers wear them longer and care for them. Obviously, that also builds up value in the eye of the consumer. So that's, it is an important factor of how we differentiate our basic essentials. You know, it is a white t-shirt. You can buy similar items anywhere, but we are loading it with a lot more of a story and a meaningfulness that that makes business sense and that makes it more of a unique product than it is at face value. Mm. So I'd love to get a little bit educated then because my journey into fashion is, I am always learning more things, uh, including how to dress myself. Often my wife takes over with that and she does a much better job. Um, what, what are the core choices that you made when you were figuring out how to make better things. So like, what does that, I guess, what does that look like, right? What, what, are, how are things being made now? And how did you decide to do it differently? Why are these clothes better? Mm. So, I mean, 
the fundament is the idea of the permanent collection that we throughout the lifetime of our journey only create you know garments that are meant to be around forever that is what allows us to pour so much more time energy and resources into creating these garments in the first place because they have no you know uh, best before date their shelf life is infinite uh, as opposed to creating out creating those you know 7000 garments a week basically um, so that allows us to operate very, very differently. Um, and uh, where it starts, I guess, if you look at just the product development process is, of course, on fiber level. Um, what are the raw materials that we can use for a specific product um, to maximize durability, uh, ease of use, comfort, while keeping the virgin impact of the extraction of that fiber as low as possible. Um, so that's kind of a matrix of decisions that we take when already sort of on fiber level all the way upstream. Mm -hmm. um, then we move into design. And that's kind of, um, I'd say probably where the metaphor of ASCET, which roughly translates to, you know, aesthetic, um, meaning that you strip away everything that doesn't add value and focus exclusively on what truly adds value uh, comes into play. So we obviously look back at the garments that have been around forever, that have always been re relevant instead of trying to forecast the next trend. Uh, and we try and figure out this, this formula. Normally, a wardrobe essential has come from a um, functional um, world. Let's say the t-shirt that was a military undergarment. Then some kind of uh, icon propels it into a re rebellious uh, kind of piece like Marlon Brando, and then it becomes a wardrobe essential. Uh, so that's how we identify the pieces. And then we strip them from everything that doesn't add value, you know, pointless pockets, uh, weird sort of, I don't know, scoop necks, V necks and stuff that just sort of comes and goes, but never stays. Uh, in the case of the denim, we even removed the coin pocket because no one uses coin pockets anymore, or most of us don't, at least maybe you put your air parts in there nowadays. Um, so we really sort of, from a design perspective, also strip away everything that doesn't add value. Um, and then when the product is pretty much defined, it obviously goes all the way into um, um, the end of life scenarios also. That's actually combined with the fibers that we choose. So which fibers do we use for the specific garment and its application? And how can that be deconstructed at some point to stay in the loop uh, as best possible? And then obviously there's distribution and we look at our different shipping alternatives, whether or not we should, you know, penalize express shipping because that has a higher footprint than, uh, you know, road shipping. We look at our packaging that we recently overhauled and is now made of um, almost entirely recycled content. We reduced the weight of material input by 50%. And then obviously the marketing and communication aspect, which is about education, about helping uh, us as consumers uh, make the most out of those garments, care for them better. So it's, it's, it's the whole life cycle. It's what we call holistic responsibility as opposed to pinpointing something, getting an accreditation for it, and then slapping that accreditation on the front of your website. We, we have our own thoughts about accreditations here at, at uh, Who's Saving the Planet, many of which are very good. Um, so when you look at the website, it's interesting because you you know, if you look at a shirt, then there's this thing that says traceability and you can click on that and it says manufacturing hundred percent, milling hundred percent, raw material, 67 trims, 58. And then I can click on it and it, well, it says this is cut, sewn, trimmed and packaged in 
uh, Portugal and it says you, where was it, where was it actually made? And then how were all of these things calculated, which is so much more information than you normally get from anyone who's trying to shop for something, right? Usually it just says, here's what percent of polyester or what have you it is. And like, that's it. But when you were talking about the aesthetic part of it, I wonder what, if you were to take this to its maximal conclusion, would we all sort of look like we're wearing the same versions of clothes? Like what about the part of fashion where it's an expression and people want to wear crazy stuff and have pockets everywhere and like want to just have really outlandish things? How, 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 do, how do you balance that with this idea of we want to strip it all down? I mean, that's, that need is always going to exist, but we're not, we're not made for that. We're made for the stuff that you wear aside of that, uh, you know, the core part of your wardrobe. We believe that, you know, anyone can then add stuff to their wardrobe uh, that maybe adds a bit of color or um, flair to, but, you know, those are signature pieces. Those are maybe not the t-shirts and the denim and the, you know, the stuff you wear day to day. And right. for that, I think there are exciting models like rental, which maybe is, is more appropriate for something that you only do use for a couple of times, but the mm. stuff I always use and that you use for a very long time. That's, that's what we're here for. Mm. But is in an, in an, you know, <laughs> we don't want it to be a, a kind of dystopian future where everyone <laughs> Uh, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> we all can't be wearing the same like monochrome jumpsuit, you know, down the road. But um, yeah, I think that's great, right? Because you're exactly right. We need many different types of solutions. We need upcycling, we need rental, we need circularity, and we need fidelity up and down the supply chain. And all of those things are important. And no, no one of them will be the panacea. They need to work in concert. Um, so I also think it's cool where you're like, yeah, we're not that. We're your t-shirts, jeans, shirts, guys, you know, and like, that's who you are and that's what you own. And, and great. Don't try to be something you're not. Well, speaking of what, what people want, I have, I, I'm interested to know, you mentioned that very few, a lot of people might be interested in shopping sustainably, but very few people are actually making that choice. And so I'm wondering how, um, you get people to invest in clothes from Asket. What's incentivizing them to say, well, you might be sustainable, but why would I, like, why am I interested in purchasing your clothing? Hmm. I think, I mean, um, if you look at it from, uh, if we sort of try and take the, the consumer perspective, um, as Jacob pointed out, we create the garments that you need we don't try and create needs and we pour you know all uh, all of our energy and all of our resources into doing that and and the result is um sure it's universal garments um but it is still very 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 good products uh with sort of you know uh, great aesthetics minimal albeit but great aesthetics uh fantastic don't apologize for that don't let me box you into a corner of apologizing for the minimalism <laughs> like own that that's good that's okay i'm into it i don't want to have to make choices when i look into a closet so like <laughs> at least that's, for me you're just you're just part of the like future of you know monotony and, and clones so you've that is what when people meet me yes usually they're like you you remind me of monotony that is correct James. <laughs> but i'm sorry august 
I don't even have hairs. I don't even have, like have a hairstyle to worry about. I'm really, literally <laughs> stripping it down. Lex, you're gonna be the new like. Is it Django Fett? Like uh, Jess is gonna kill me for this poor Star Wars reference. Yeah, don't do a Star Wars <laughs> reference without Jess without clearing it with Jess Miles first. But he's right, the but... clones guy. Oh, he's... good. I'm a clone. Thank you. That's useful, Jonas. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, August. We didn't mean to cut you off though. I think Jonas asked a really good question, right? Where it's well, like, how do your marketing dollars pay back? Exactly. And I mean, um, uh, as we were talking about, there, there's this say do uh, dichotomy, right? Um, and um, at the end of the day, what most people are looking for um, is the product. Uh, and that is a combination of aesthetics, quality, fit, and price. Uh, it is the fundamental sort of problem areas that we started to tackle when we founded Askit. And then there's, of course, pockets of uh, customers that are more interested into, uh, in our, uh, you know, in transparency, impact, um, uh, responsibility, and, and, and all of those aspects. But the, the spearhead into sort of the customer's wardrobe is the product. And we kind of talk about it like a, a Trojan horse. Uh, for one, once it's in there, it will outlast most of the stuff that you've ever tried. And we've tested that and sort of quantified that. Um, secondly, once it's in your wardrobe and you do your laundry the first and, and your Ascot t-shirt is in the laundry for the first time, you turn it inside out, you check the care label and you're confronted with our traceability label, a massive label that's in there. And a lot of people actually point out that it's itchy because it's so big. So you will be confronted with that traceability label. And at that point, we'll maybe sort of nudge you into a little bit more awareness of all the steps and the complexities that goes into creating that product. And so, you know, subconsciously, uh, we nudge you into a, a greater awareness. And then, you know, the next time you visit the website, and if you didn't scroll down to the traceability and transparency section, maybe you will. And the next time you go into, um, you know, uh, a store, uh, you'll, you'll be maybe a little bit conflicted when you see that what we charge, you know, $45 for can cost as little as uh, $5 if you know all the steps that goes into uh, creating that product. So it's kind of, you know, the product is still at the core of the product marketing, if you will. Um, but it's built on a foundation uh, that is about so much more. Uh, and that can appeal to all the different facets of, of customers, those that are uh, super interested in making conscious decisions all the way those that are just interested in the fit and the, the size system and those that are just interested in the, the minimalism and, or the quality. We talked about this before about how sometimes these garments can be like a Trojan horse for sustainability where you buy it because it looks good. It's like, you know, it's aesthetically what you want and then you get it and you realize there's so many little hidden Easter eggs about how this is different and it makes you feel something right? It, may, it gives you an emotional relationship with this inanimate object because it represents some degree of intentionality uh, of altruism, if you will, even though it is consumerism. Uh, and perhaps that can, that bears out down the line, right? Because then maybe you have a loyal customer. You have somebody who's coming back no matter what, because they believe in what you're doing. And that brand equity, that brand loyalty is something that plays out over the whole lifetime of the way people shop. And like you said, your whole manifesto is the pursuit of less. So it's the opposite of this idea of overconsumption. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. You put it a lot better than I did. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for cleaning my cleaning up my answer, Lex. 
just, I'm here to help. This is what it is. Um, so how's it going? How you guys started this six years ago? How has this experiment borne out? It's been good. Uh, I mean, we started very uh, scrappy, very bootstrapped, uh, slow and steady building the foundation. I mean, we had one t-shirt in four colors when we opened our online store. Uh, so you can imagine it wasn't a booming business in the beginning, but um, no, it's uh, so far we've been hitting all our targets. We've been growing steadily. So if you look at you know traditional business metrics, we are doing doing well. We're proving that this is a model that works financially. We're now I think this year growing to um, so roughly 10, 10 million uh, US dollars mm. um, in revenue. In, in revenue, hey, yeah. that's a real thing. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, starting to become a you know a significant amount. We're getting the resources we need to to do all the things we want to do. We actually became profitable first time last year, uh, and so in that aspect, definitely things are going good. Uh, and and also on you know on our mission, we are we're growing there as well. We have been in the, these six years expanding our responsibility quite a lot from where we started to where we are today. So we have. We have been um, launching the traceability. We have the impact receipts. Uh, we have now the, the life cycle responsibility. And uh, you know we're not done with any of these. We're, they're all very ambitious projects and that we're working on. And, and we can be open that we're not 100% traceable yet. I think what's the latest stats now? 87. 87%. So there's still work to do there. And we still need to get all the products with the impact receipts, but we're we're on a good trajectory, I would say. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, just this past, these past six months have been uh, tremendously exciting and tremendously busy also with um, introducing uh, the revival program, which is sort of the last piece in our life cycle responsibility. You know, we were very um, outspoken when it comes to garment care before, um, and now we're taking a larger stance when it comes to repairs and taking back and reviving those products, essentially giving the customer a deposit uh, on any asket piece, and no matter its condition, you can always return it and get a deposit, um, and we'll take care of it and make the most out of those precious fibers again. Um, we launched our, our first store um, uh, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, which is super exciting. You know, that might also sound like a Sort of commercial part of the business, which it to some degree is, but it's also a huge element in terms of education. Um, the store is full of educational assets. Every garment comes with, you know, a display with raw materials and bits and pieces of the journey. You can smell the greasy wool and the indigo and the denim, and uh, you can touch the corrosive nut that we make buttons from, and and all that. So um, it's exciting. That is incredibly exciting. What color is the inside of your store? It's gray. Okay. <laughs> I was imagining this like magenta and cerulean store in it with like monochromatic. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, guys, I this has been great. I want to I want to wrap up with a question that I ask a lot of people. Um, Wait, Lex, can I can I interject one thing before you jump into that? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I'm um, since we talked about all of these like amazing components of what your business is trying to do from from traceability to supply chain, uh, to materials, durability, longevity, style, all of these elements. Can you break down um, which, what of those are 
leading to the success that you guys are having right now with the business or is it too hard to disentangle all of those pieces because i feel like for a lot of other companies that are sort of starting on this journey to sustainability it's um you're you're sort of paving a little bit of a road and i think it's super important to to maybe demonstrate what aspects of sustainability that you're doing that are effective and that they could do without maybe losing profit or say you know cutting a lot you know have to having to deal with a lot of losses mm. i think that's a phenomenal question and a really tricky one too, um, but I, I would say that the the largest part of uh, our you know success, if you will, to date, um, comes back to the product and the amount of pride that we take in the product, uh, and the amount of time and resources that we put into creating products that really are meant to be loved for a long time and that customers really really appreciate. Uh, and that's a combination of, you know, quality, durability, um, reasonable pricing and, and, um, and fit. And now that we opened our store, that's something that we also uh, can see that the majority of the returning customers that are coming to the store, you know, they're, they're wearing five-year-old Ascot t-shirts with pride and, you know, telling us how they were part of that journey and how well the garments hold up. And, and that really comes down to the product. You know, today you can't afford to start a business with a crappy product, it needs to be made with integrity. Um, and if you're serious about sort of responsibility or let's say sustainability aspects, then you you really don't want to add to the problem of consumerism. You want to create products with integrity and purpose. Um, I'd say that's the core. But as we've been pushing our notion of responsibility, also we of course see a greater pickup in people that mentioned that as um the factor why they recommend and talk about ask it um for sure great question yeah. jonas yeah, sorry go ahead Jacob. yeah no i think it is super tricky i i would say that you know it boils down to a lot you know what's the what's a major impact and what's actually makes business sense and brand sense and responsibility sense is the permanence of the collection and the way how that eliminates waste, I think, is something that you know other brands can look at. Uh, you know, maybe you can't shift to that entirely, but it you know just by going into making garments that last and, and that maybe can be carryover products, you're you're eliminating a lot of the uh, risk that is inherent in fashion. You're eliminating a lot of waste in in sampling and production of garments that may not even be made uh, or sold. Uh, and I think that's something where it's also what allows us and what could allow another company to invest a lot more in the product. I think that's a fantastic, yeah, that's a fantastic place to wrap it up. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on and for uh, sharing the story of Asket. We've loved watching you guys grow and we'll continue to. Um, so keep in touch, please, when you guys have more milestones, reach out, let us know. We'd love to share with our, with our faithful planeteers. Thanks so um, much for the opportunity and for the conversation, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure to speak. All right, thank cheers. We'll talk soon.